And if everyone else would please open to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 15, a new chapter this morning. For those of you who are new, my name is Morgan, I'm the teaching pastor at Summit. It's my privilege each week to preach God's Word, and we're working through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus Christ, our King, and we are in chapter 15 covering verses 1 to 9 this morning. Matthew 15, verse 1 says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother most surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In Matthew 15, all the way really to verse 20 actually, Jesus deals with what I would call empty religion. He deals with empty religion. And here's a good description of empty religion. Jesus gave it to us. People who honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. There is a description of empty religion. It is lip service. It is an outward show. External duties, performance, based on man-centered achievement without any real devotion or heart for God. Empty religion. Can you identify the difference between empty religion and true worship? It's important. It's important for you to be able to identify the differences because first we see empty religion is fraudulent. It's fake. Jesus calls them hypocrites, play actors, phonies. These are not true Christians, so if you're caught up in empty religion, you need to know it's a fraudulent religion. And of course, that would mean that the religion is faulty. It fails. You cannot be right with God, caught up in following an empty religious system. Jesus says these people will be uprooted in the last day. He says they're like blind men that fall into a pit. The end of this path is destruction. At the end of this path, you will meet with the Lord and you might say, didn't I do all these religious things? And he will respond and say, depart from me for I never knew you. Empty religion. Do you know the difference? It's very important. If you're a Christian, a true follower of Christ, a true worshiper, it's important for you to know the difference. 
so that we can properly identify and minister to those around us that are deceived by empty religion. According to a Gallup poll in July of 2023, 82%, listen, 82% of Americans identify themselves as spiritual or religious. That's a lot. 50, oh, I'm sorry, 60% of them wear the name tag Christian. That's what they identify as. Now, I'd ask you, how many of those are true worshipers of Christ? And how many of those, unfortunately, are caught up in empty religion? Well, Jesus helps us identify the difference here in this passage. He provides a helpful exhortation, instruction to help us identify what is the difference between empty religion and true worship. In our passage this morning, in verses 1 to 9, Jesus identifies one of the differences. Empty religion exalts the traditions of men above the Word of God. It's one of the key markers of empty religion. Exalting the traditions of men above the Word of God. The second marker we're going to see next week is that empty religion is exposed when sin is only identified externally, it's a problem out here, and it's not identified internally. So that is another uh, aspect of empty religion. Sin is identified externally and not internally. We'll cover that next week. But for now, we're going to look and study verses 1 to 9 to see what Jesus says. And he says, empty religion exalts the traditions of men above the word of God, and that is a serious crime. A serious crime. So let's go into the passage. Uh, If you're with us last week, you'll notice that I left verses 34 to 36 out of it. I want us to look back for context. If you go back to verse 34 of chapter 14, here's what's going on in the context. It is important. When they, that is Jesus and his disciples, had crossed over, that is the Sea of Galilee, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, that is Jesus, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were, what? Sick. And they implored him, that is Jesus, that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Matthew pauses at certain points to just kind of give us a big, broad, sweeping, general description of Jesus' activity. Here he is. Jesus is the compassionate and powerful healer. People from all around in the region are coming just to touch his robe because there is divine power behind his healing. And the people around everywhere are forced to deal with this man, with him, and they have to answer the question, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is Jesus Christ? Who is he? He can teach with authority. He can forgive sin. He can calm storms. He can heal the sick. He even can raise the dead. What kind of man is he? Have you answered that question for yourself? Who do you believe Jesus is? Well, there is one group that despises him time and time again. And here they show up in chapter 15 with a bad attempt to defy, to denounce, and to dethrone Jesus. They want to destroy this man. 
Now, this isn't one of my points, but this is extra credit, okay? Empty religion will always take shots at Jesus. It will. Empty religion will take shots at the person and work of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, and His mighty work. If your religion, if in your religion, you say that Jesus is less than perfect, if in your religion you say that Jesus is less than Lord, if you say in your religion that Jesus is less than God, if His sacrifice was less than sufficient to save, then your religion is not Christianity. It is an empty religion. Empty religion will always take shots at Jesus in an effort to cut Him down. But it can't. And that's, what, that's exactly what this group seeks to do. And you were introduced to them in verse 1. Here are the enforcers of man's tradition. Verse 1, the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees are the elite. The elite in rank and social influence of Judaism. The scribes are the experts in the laws and traditions of Judaism. Together they make a powerful enforcer of Judaism. The Pharisees have the authoritative rank, and the scribes have the authoritative word, or so they think. Unless their authority is empty. So they come to Jesus, and you can see that they ask an accusatory question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Notice that the question is addressed to Jesus, but they're accusing his disciples. If you remember in chapter 9, they did the exact opposite. Their question was addressed at his disciples, but they accused Jesus of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here's something that the Pharisees understand. The relationship between a disciple and his master. They are one. They understand that a teacher is responsible for the practice of his disciples, and vice versa. The disciples are responsible to the instruction of their teacher. And so to accuse one is to accuse the other. The master and his disciples. This was a subtle accusation of Jesus Christ and his leadership. How could you allow your men, your disciples, not to wash, according to the tradition of the elders? I just want to stop and ask, I wonder if you might, I wonder if the world would accuse you of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would be so easily identified with your Savior, a follower of Him, reflecting and emulating His leadership in your life. Is that you? Would you be found associated with Jesus the Christ and His teachings? Is he such a clear and you know, evidential Lord in your life? Your master. And what are these enforcers accusing Jesus of, and his men, of breaking? Well, we see it's the tradition. The tradition. Now, tradition is simply put, instruction that has been handed down over time. Tradition in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. 
It's not. We have many traditions. Some of you have already started your Christmas traditions in your house. You maybe have some instruction that's been passed down over time from grandmothers to fathers and mothers to you today and now to your children. Tradition isn't necessarily bad, but here's where tradition goes wrong, and Jesus is going to tell us where it does. Whose tradition are these men enforcing? It's important. Look down at the text. They are enforcing the tradition of the who? Elders. Now, I want to make a clear distinction. Not talking about the elders of the church, okay? It's not talking about the elders of Summit Bible Church or or that office. What, What they are talking about is the instruction that has been passed down over time by the rabbis, the elders of Judaism. Now, the rabbis would teach these oral traditions, and they were eventually written and collected into works such as the Talmud or the the Mishnah. But the rabbis would have these oral traditions, and, and the reason that they came up with these oral traditions is that they were under the impression they needed to build a protective wall around the law. So they had God's word, they had the scriptures, at least the Old Testament, but they were under the impression they had to build another wall to protect God's word. And so, you know, initially you could say, maybe admirable intentions, maybe, but it definitely goes south pretty quickly. This was the case with hand washing, by the way. The washing or the ceremonial cleansing Uh, was something that God prescribed in the Old Testament, but not for everybody. The ceremonial cleansing that was prescribed in the Old Testament was for a specific group. Do you know them? It was for the priests. It was for the priests that were administering sacrifices on behalf of unclean people. It was for the mediators that God gave in the Old Covenant sacrificial system. They were the ones that were supposed to wash so that they can mediate on behalf of unclean people. And so the rabbis come in and they build their wall around this law. We want to add some things that we think God left out. Not only do the priests need to wash, but everybody does. And not only before entering the temple, but before eating food. Now parents, we would agree. Washing hands is a good thing. Amen? One of the things that I'm talking about often with my children. But you got to understand the purpose here. It was not to just wash free of germs and dirt and grime and goo. It was for ceremonial cleansing. And so it was to say, if you did not wash, then you are bringing sin and an offense, and you are unclean and defiled and not right with God. Wow. Wow. Well, if your kid eats his bologna sandwich with some dirt on his hands, that's not what we're saying, right? And you see the purpose of this law shifts in the minds of the Pharisees. See, it shifts from providing mediation for unclean people to producing division that separates the clean from the unclean. Wow, they subvert the purpose and insert their own. And think about it. Where was Jesus in context? He and his men were among who? The sick. The unclean. Jesus was ministering to them. They were touching him. 
Oh, God forbid. But he healed them. He made them new. He cured them of their disease. So let me ask you, who's really fulfilling the purpose of the law? Is it Jesus, the great high priest who goes out to unclean people and mediates on their behalf and cleanses them? Or is it the Pharisees who are concerned about you just washing your hands? Wow. What a, what a contrast. Jesus, this is what they say, you and your men are filthy with the stench of unclean and unworthy people of Gennesaret. And you must wash yourself of them and their unrighteousness. Horrible. You know, at the very least, unkind and considerate. Just downright cruel toward these people that Jesus was just ministering to. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, what is hand washing compared to Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. This wall that they built around the law, it's like my rotted wood side yard fence that recently fell down. It's instable. It's insufficient. And it is eventually brought down. The winds are changing. Jesus Christ comes in and He trumps the elders' tradition. And by the way, God was clear in the Old Testament scribes. They should have known this. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God said, You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. I did not ask for your walls. You should not build them around my word. And so these men, in an effort to build up man-centered tradition, have broken the word of God. And so in steps the second enforcer. Point number two in your outline, the enforcer of God's word. Jesus comes in, and in response to their accusatory question, he asks a similar question with greater force and greater authority. He answered them, look down at verse three. And why do you, notice the parallelism, why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. You gotta ask yourself, what are traditions compared to commandments? Who are the elders compared to God? Where would you rather stand? On the other side of the pointed finger of the Pharisees and scribes defending and forcing the tradition of the elders, or on the other side of the pointed finger of Jesus the Christ, God Himself, saying, Why did you break my word? Who would you rather be? A transgressor? Of the traditions or a transgressor of God's very word. You break the commandment of God. You transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions. You've got to understand this is what happens when your loyalty to tradition supersedes your loyalty to God's word. This is what happens. You build wall after wall, year after year, for decades and centuries, and suddenly you find yourself working harder to protect that wall than to protect the treasure behind it. Worse, you find yourself on the other side of the wall, protecting the wall from the treasure itself. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a king builds a mighty and beautiful castle to protect his family. 
And this king stations soldiers around it to protect the castle. But year after year, shift after shift, these soldiers decide in their estimation they need to build another fortifying structure. They need to build another wall. And then another wall. And then another wall. And the soldiers give instruction to following soldiers saying, hey, make sure you protect this wall. Protect this wall at all costs from all intruders. Years go by, decades, centuries. Not centuries, decades, for the sake of the illustration. Because imagine if the king's wife and children return from a foreign land and those soldiers kill them, thinking they are an intruder. Why did they do that? Well, well they killed the wife and children because they were given orders to simply protect the wall from all intruders. And they didn't recognize the king's own family. What would the king do to those men and their stupid wall? Tear them down. The Pharisees have done the same thing. For the sake of their precious wall, they have transgressed the king's precious treasure. They have, for the sake of their tradition, forsaken the very commands of God. And that's a crime. That's a crime at the least. They find themselves guilty as divine law breakers. And if you needed an example, Jesus provides one. Okay, here's a clear example of what breaking God's law for the sake of their tradition. He provides in verse 4. He says, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's explicit, isn't it? Very clear. Honor your father and mother. Command from God. And it comes with a warning, but you know, this command also comes with a promise that if you do this, children, it'll go well with you. A general blessing in life if you obey and honor father and mother. But look at verse 5. But you say, uh uh-oh, major, major red flag. Oh goodness, would you not be across the pointed finger of Jesus Christ after he states just an explicit, clear command, a command that is not confusing, that is uh, explicit, clear, with warning, with promise, but you say something contrary? That's not a good spot to be. But he says, but you say, you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, this tradition, I guess, of the elders gave an unauthorized excuse for children to not honor or provide for their father and mother. You know what the excuse is? Hey, just say that that is an offering for the temple. Just say that that money you would have given them is for God and His church. Then you don't have to honor them. And what's even worse is that all they had to do was to say that. They didn't even have to follow through. They didn't have to give those funds to the synagogue or give those funds to the temple. They simply had to say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. These funds are for the Lord. You're on your own. See, in that, such a a fickle tradition, 
such a, a bad excuse gave them license to defy the Word of God. And you might be off the hook for your money in the eye of tradition, but you are not off the hook in the eyes of God. You have transgressed His divine law in doing so. But Jesus takes it a step further. He really hunkers down and drives in the nail. He says, not only are you a transgressor of God's word, but you are a subverter of God's word for the sake of your tradition. Look at verse 6. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Not only for the sake of your tradition, have you defied and transgressed the word of God. You have subverted it. You have, in your estimation, made it Less valuable. Void. That's what that word means. That word void means to nullify or to declare legally non-binding. In other words, God's word doesn't matter to me. Man's tradition is more authoritative. I submit to the law or the tradition of the elders, but will not submit to the authority of God's word. That's what you say. That's what empty religion says when they elevate man's tradition, not only against the law of God, but they elevate man's tradition above it. It's a greater authority. And you nullify the very word of God. Here's what they've done. In their puny minds, these Pharisees and scribes, religious elite, they have formed a mutiny to overthrow the king and his law. They think that they can redefine, they can replace, or even delete the very Word of God to nullify it. And to go back to that wall illustration, think about it. Of what value, in your estimation, is the treasure if your only aim is to protect the wall? If you'll protect the wall at all costs from all intruders, of what value is that treasure? Less than valuable. Less valuable in your estimation. And this is what empty religion does. It devalues God's word. It says, you need something else. God's word is not sufficient. You need another authority. You need another revelation. You need more information. You need another set of rules to follow. More walls. And so, ultimately, what Jesus says here, listen to this, empty religion is a religion of subtraction by addition. It is a religion of subtraction by addition. Here's what I mean. The more walls that you add to God's word, the more you subtract, in your estimation, the value of God's word. God's word diminishes and your traditions elevate Empty tradition, again, exalts man's traditions above the Word of God. And that is a great offense to the divine law giver, God Himself. God has very strong words in His Scripture for these kinds of insurrectionists, men who do this. Revelation 22.18 says, I warn everyone, I warn everyone, here's a stern warning, who hears the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, 
God will add to him the plagues described in this book. The word of God, we believe, is sufficient. God's divine revelation that was given us that pertains to all things. All things related to godliness and Christian living. And we don't need any other authority than God's word. To relate to him, to relate to each other. Sure, maybe tradition or or writings, things like commentaries, perhaps aspects of creeds and confessions help us to understand God's Word, and they find their derivative in here, but at no point do we elevate those above the very Word of God itself, amen? Because we don't want to be convicted of this crime. Do not find yourself adding any traditions of men to God's holy Word. They are not equal in authority. They are not equal in power. And they are certainly not divine. There's another source for those kinds of traditions. And if you do so, inevitably, you'll find yourself a trespasser and a subverter of God's word itself. Jesus continues and exposes the emptiness of tradition. That's point number three in your outline, the emptiness of tradition. So what does Jesus have to say in the face of man's tradition? I love this. What does Jesus do? He preaches the word. That's all we have to say. To defend God's word, to be an advocate for the authority of God's word and not man's tradition, what do we do? We preach the word. We go back. We draw people back to the word of God. God's word is sufficient. It has the authority. It is inerrant. We preach it. To defend the word, we preach the word. And Jesus preaches from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. First he says, you hypocrites. That's a strong statement. The word hypocrites is literally a reference to a a play actor, a pretender, empty religion. Of course, I said at the very beginning, it is a fraudulent religion. It is false, fake, phony. And then he continues to preach Isaiah. He says, well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He preaches from Isaiah because Isaiah prophesied a time in Israel's past history where they were convicted of the same crime. They had elevated an empty religion, kind of an external practices and ritualistic ceremonial Judaism that forsook the heart of Judaism given in God's word, that, but they practiced this phony, external, empty religion. And so Isaiah is a great, a great prophet to preach when you're faced with the same kind of people in a different day. The empty religious. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The picture strikes me in my mind of someone saying or doing or showing the right things, but inside their hearts, it's empty. It's filled of dead man's bones, sin and corruption, a rottenness in the core. I'm reminded of back in the days where I used to, uh, in high school, attended a Christian school. And every Friday we had chapels. And it struck me at that time, The band would would play worship songs, and and I would see students stand and raise their hands. 
singing the words of the songs loudly. Even at times, these students would be emotional. They would close their eyes, sing these praises with great expression on Friday, and then they would shoot shots of liquor on Saturday. It was fake. It was phony. It was just lip service. They were saying and doing the right things, but the heart was evidently running in the opposite direction. Jesus says, in vain. In vain. You know what that word vain means? It's empty. It's worthless. It has no end or purpose. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines, dogma, the commands of men. All that work. And it is a lot of work to be a religious person, to look religious. Oh, it's a lot of work. You've got to come to church every Sunday. You've got to go to the synagogue on Saturday. And there's a lot of duties, religious duties, reading your Bible, saying the prayers, being charitable outside, donating money. Performing all the rituals, and especially at this time, Judaism, there was a lot of tradition, rituals, and ceremony. It was a lot of work. And what Jesus is saying is all that work with no heart for God, it is nothing. It is pointless. It accomplishes nothing. You're no closer to God. In fact, you're further from Him. Because you think you're close and you're really far. This kind of ritualistic, empty religion it has no value in God's economy. You bought into a scam. And you're left with nothing but your sins standing before a holy God because your religiosity doesn't save you. Don't buy. Don't buy the commandments or the traditions of men. It's a poor investment. Don't buy them in exchange for the very word of God. Don't buy them in exchange for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, and King. At this point, I want to get um, to application. I just was thinking, you know, if there was, not to go after it, but I know many of us are touched and surrounded by this influence but if, if there were a modern poster child for empty religion that exalts the traditions of men above the Word of God, I would name him Roman Catholicism, who call themselves Christians. But the religion is empty. Here's a quote from one of their traditions. From De Verbum. Given as an authoritative document from the Second Vatican Council set forth by Pope Paul VI, here's what he says. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. By tradition, this document is referring to the teachings of the magisterium, that is the Pope and his bishops united with him. According to the Roman Catholic Church, the magisterium, the Pope and his bishops are the only ones with the authority to interpret the Word of God and the only ones by divine authority that are able to add or take away from the tradition. 
to say that they have divine revelation. That's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. And over the centuries, this has resulted in teachings that have no biblical support and actually contradict the Word of God itself. Doctrines such as baptismal regeneration, doctrines such as the Eucharist, time and time again, re-sacrificing the Savior, Jesus Christ. Penance, purgatory, praying to Mary, just to name a few of the traditions that they teach with authority. Now, there are issues with each and every one of those, but here is where the issue hits ahead. This has resulted in a religion of addition. That is, faith plus works equals justification. Scripture plus tradition equals divine revelation. Christ plus the sacraments are necessary for salvation. This is another religion. What does God's word say to those traditions? What does God's word say? You need to hear these verses as I read them. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. No one is made right by religiosity. It's faith alone in Christ alone is what justifies. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things sufficient for life and godliness. Knowing this, verse 20, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, but men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We understand that to be the apostles. And so Scripture alone is sufficient divine revelation. 2 Timothy 3.16 would be another proof text. Finally, and this is, I think is one of the greatest crimes of Roman Catholicism. Hebrews 10 is clear. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected Perfected, sanctified for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's sacrifice alone at Calvary is the all-sufficient sacrifice for sins. No need for additional works. No need for additional revelation. No need for additional sacrifices. In fact, here is Scripture's equation. Grace plus anything equals nothing. Faith plus anything equals nothing. Scripture plus anything equals nothing. Christ, supremely. Christ plus anything equals nothing. It is empty religion. An empty religion that dares to exalt the traditions of men 
not only against God's word, but above it. And in result, are preaching a different gospel. Don't succumb to empty religion. It has no substance. It's not real. And if you find yourself caught thinking that Christianity is just duties and and works and, and religiosity, repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He's offered to you today. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform any sacraments or religious works. Believe in Christ. Jesus Christ, the only true Savior who sufficiently offered atonement for sinners at the cross. Jesus Christ, listen to me today, lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. You're a sinner. And you have defied God's holy commands. Every single one of us, we sin not just externally, but from the heart, internally. We have rebelled against a holy God. But Jesus Christ was perfect. He lived a righteous life. And then He went to the cross and suffered on the cross. Not just physically. It was incredible physical torture, but it wasn't just physical suffering. He suffered on the cross. The wrath of God in your place that you deserve. Because of your sins. He was sinless, innocent. He didn't deserve it, but he took it so that you wouldn't have to. And on that cross, he hung until the full accounts were paid for. Every payable debt for every sinner that would trust in him. He sufficiently suffered on that cross in your place. And at the end, he said, it is finished. Done. Every sin of all of God's people that would come to him by faith. And Jesus Christ did not stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. He is the victorious, redeeming, all-sufficient Savior and Lord and King. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He advocates for us. He's our great high priest. And when we doubt, when we sin, when we fail, if we're God's people, we look to Him, our great mediator. Don't need anybody else. We have Him revealed to us through this Word. All sufficient. Christ alone. And listen, friends. You must just believe. Trust in Him. See Christ for who He is. Trust in Him today. And that faith that is given to you by, by grace, God's grace, you didn't, don't earn it, God gives it to you by grace, it will produce such life in you. It pro- will produce such freedom in you such desires to love God and follow Him with your life. It'll produce good works. Oh, amazing grace. Grace that saves and grace that sanctifies. Trust in Christ today, would you? Don't trust in an empty religion. Repent and believe. God's Word. God's Word is amazing. It towers above the traditions of men. Don't buy into empty religion. Let's pray. Father God, your grace abounds to us in that you don't just reveal yourself to us, but you reveal through your word, your plan of redemption. It is a plan of grace. It is a plan of mercy. It is a plan not for men to try to work their way to you 
or to earn their salvation. It is a plan where you gift it to them by your benevolence, by your love, and by your grace, and by your mercy. Our simple response is to trust, to believe, to see your Savior, your mediator, your Son, Jesus Christ, for who He is. And to trust in Him for salvation. I pray that anybody here today caught up in this idea of empty religiosity, a works-based system, would simply see Christ and trust in Him. God, I pray for those of us who are in Christ, united to Him by Your grace. Those of us in Christ, God, that we would be discerning and helpful to those around us who may be caught in this trap. Give us the words to say your word, not our words or our opinions, but your word to minister to those. And give us such strength and grace, God. Strength to not be moved by the storms in this life, but to trust and rest in Jesus Christ. To have your word revealed to us and to live by your word each day out of just a strong affection for you. Help us, God. We need your help with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.